lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. In Your Head Radio with Lee Richardson, and I have a guest today, Ann Tucker. And Ann is a very amazing lady. She's a creator of Business Energetics and the Authentic Expression Test, transmitter of the Nine Angelic Frequency Series, and a channel for angelic wisdom. Her work is designed to help you see and understand your creative essence, your purpose and value, and to express it through your work so that you not only feel fulfilled, seen, and appreciated, but you also unlock your ability to create the success that you're capable of. And is helping to redefine business for a spiritual age, where the work we do becomes a conscious pathway to our own spiritual development. Her book, Undoubtedly Awesome, uses the authentic expression test to show how you experience less doubt in your decisions. And thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Lee. I'm thrilled to be here with you. And you know, just saying authentic expression, it makes me think, okay, that's the real deal. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's all about getting to that true essence of who we are, right? And expressing that out into the world. When I noticed one of the first points you make in your book, and I, I noticed it right away because it's a point that I make with my clients, self-awareness. For me, for you, you say self-awareness is a cure. For me, I say self-awareness is where it all starts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I think it's really true is that and in, in there are some things that are going to go deeper beyond. But it's amazing to me how much healing can happen when we just become aware of what we're doing. Right. Of the ways in which we limit ourselves and the ways in which we hold ourselves back. And and it's true that there are some things that go deeper beyond that, that that you can become aware of it and bump up against it over and over and over in your life. But for those things that are cured simply by when you open your eyes to it, it's like it's like an instant cure. It's an aha. Right. It's that moment where you have behaved a certain way up until now. And then all of a sudden you see it differently and you can't unsee it. Right. And it changes you forever. Well, it does, you know, and and this is a question I have, and I ask, I go back and forth. Is self-awareness the same thing as self-acceptance? Do you know, I think, um, I would say those are slightly different because I think you can accept yourself and be unaware of yourself at the same time. (laughs) You know, like I think you can, and you can love yourself without seeing maybe the ways in which you are self-sabotaging. I agree with that. It's, you know, I think it's, it's acceptance is a part of it. Yeah. But really being open, you know, you have to have courage to say, okay, I'm going to take a real look at myself. Yes. And maybe I'm not perfect. Oh, and maybe I'm going to have to be vulnerable. You're so right. Oh my gosh. Yes. That is, I think that is a huge part of it because it does take a, it takes that a big part of, of willingness to, and I think so much of us feel like, I think, um, we, we push down those thoughts, like it, like the, the possibility that something might be wrong. Right. And we think that if we don't let it come up to the surface, that maybe it's not true. And, you know, it reminds me of like, have you ever known somebody that's on a diet or have you ever been on a diet and not wanted to tell anybody that you're on a diet? Because then people might notice that you're carrying around a few extra pounds. 
And, <laughs> and it's like, no, the pounds are still there, whether you tell people or not, right? It's like, we, we try to hide it from ourselves. And, and I think that that being willing to say, yeah, I've got a few extra pounds, or yeah, I've got some baggage from childhood. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of the people that I work with are anxious, are depressed. And yeah. sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll come in, I just want to stick my head in the sand. Mm. And my response to that is, it's not going to go away. Yeah. The only way you're going to get through it is lean into it. That's the truth. It really is. Yeah. And it's in, and the thing I always tell clients when I'm, when I'm working with healing clients is that, is that they, that if you do let, like we spend so much time in resistance to our feelings and in resistance to the, the negative things that we, we don't want to experience. But if somebody allows an emotion to come up, something that they've, you know, trapped within their body, you know, since childhood and they let it come up, it can pass out of their system entirely in 90 seconds, right? It's like just, it's like emotions are meant to move, right? It's energy that's meant to, meant to pass from you. And if they just re- let it expand, you know, expands and it's, it's not going to, you know, going to hurt you right? You just got to let it expand and get as big as it can. And then it moves, moves out and it's gone. But if we spend so much energy tamping it down and trying to keep, because the feeling of it coming up, that the experience of it starting, the emotion starting to emerge can be a, a really scary feeling. Well, to me, that's fear. Yeah. And, yeah. And you, you feel it, you know, you're afraid of it and you you feel it coming at you. And when you do, you tense up and mm-hmm. you block that. You, yeah. as you said, it's got to flow right through you because we're nothing but frequencies. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I absolutely agree. <laughs> so I have to ask a question. What are the nine angelic frequency series? Oh, it's, it is it is something I'm so excited about. Um, it is a series. So I'm a channel, a channel uh, from the angelic realm. And this is a series of frequencies. When uh, when the angels first, first expressed to me that I was going to be transmitting these frequencies, they they worked on me for a long time to get me ready to do it. It, it required really, um, I had to make my diet completely clean. So I, I had to go completely like, you know, completely vegan, gluten-free, the whole thing to get my energy high enough to be able to handle transmitting these frequencies. Um, but they, and they didn't tell me much about it. They said it was going to be a series of nine frequencies and they said to do it over nine months and they gave me very specific instructions but they what they told me is that these frequencies were going to raise uh raise the people who participated were going to have their consciousness raised they were going to come up to a higher level of awareness higher level of consciousness and it was going to expand their spiritual gifts and that it would only that it would you it would work when they used their gifts their their gifts would grow and expand um and that the energies would be cumulative so i was you know i was game i thought okay although i got to tell you it was a serious um, uh, effort in not controlling, right? I'm a person who likes to show up. If I'm going to host something, I want to have an agenda and I've got my clipboard, you know, and I had to just show up and I, I wasn't totally certain what was going to happen. And we've had um, two of the sessions so far and it is blowing my mind. I'm getting emails from people and texts from people telling me how their gifts are opening up. You know, people who have been healers who all of a sudden are, they're, they're you know, what they're doing is just exponentially increasing. It's been just amazing. Just And people also, in terms of, uh, it's coming out in a bunch of different ways, but it's it's been, and the sessions are, they're about 90 minutes long. So it's a really long time to hold that frequency. Um, uh, but, and they tend to just wipe me out at the end of it, but, but wow, is it something I'm, I'm really excited about it. We're on session two now out of nine. 
Wow. And you're already this excited. Yeah. I yeah. I can't wait to see where it goes. Yeah. Well, when you, after you get through all nine, you might have to come back and tell me more about that. Right. <laughs> I will. I'd so be happy to. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about the authentic expression test. Yeah, so the authentic expression test tells you um, what is what I call your soul type, and it's a it is a um, it's all based around how you how you create in the world. What is it that you specifically are meant to create? Which aspect of creative energy do you express into the world? So if you think of creation as a process, that it's a it's a that if you think about and, and and a good way to understand this is think about how how nature works, how plants grow, right? There's a process that you go from a seed and then it germinates and then it sprouts and then it blooms, right? This is a process. Each one of those stages represents a different kind of creative energy. It takes a different type of creative energy. And there are seven different types. Well, each one of us embodies one of those seven types. And what it means is that your specific creative energy is best at cer- solving certain, certain types of problems and certain aspects of problems, that it comes in at the timing is important and the kind of thing you're working on and it dictates what it is that you're going to create in the world like what types of things that you're likely to create so it's it's a it's and so knowing yours um really opens up the all kinds of discussion around um uh how is it that you can be most valuable in the world right what are the kinds of things you should be doing to grow your business these kinds of things it's, it's really cool so I think getting that that understanding and that knowledge then maybe helps people in their decision cap- capabilities. That's where I see people in my practice. They get so stuck and they they know they need to make a decision about it and they'll go back and forth. And I just it's like I watch them going in circles. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's exactly this is amazing for that because it's all built around um so the 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 way that you get into understanding your authentic expression is by looking at how the the, the main tool you use for creation, which is your decisions, which is the process. It's not what you choose, it's how you choose it. It's the process that you're using to make decisions. And when you start to pull apart and each of us there's seven different main processes that we use. We each have one of these seven thought processes. And once you understand what yours looks like, all of a sudden you can start to see where doubt comes in and how it affects you and what you can do about it. So, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's hugely, cause you're right that, that, I mean, if you think about what is it that, that holds you back more than anything else in your life that makes you unhappy more than anything else in your life, it's doubt. Absolutely. And to me, doubt goes hand in hand with fear yeah. Their siblings, yeah. they hang out together. Yeah, you're right. You're so right. And what I see, too, with, with decision-making is a lot of times our emotions, you know, come into play. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a good thing. I think you, and I think you would agree with this, you need to feel your, your decisions. Yes. Uh, but some yeah. people, when they get emotional, they just shut down. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I think it's really interesting that your decision process, like I think I think that there's a bias in our society that decision making is something you do with your left brain, right? It's something that you you analyze and that's how you choose. You're supposed to do your research and do your analysis, otherwise you're not a good decision maker. And I think it's really, really interesting that if you look at actually the studies that have been done about how decisions are made, is that the actual mechanism that we use to to make a choice to the moment of choosing happens 
happens with your emotions. And then after you feel your way to which one you like best, your your logical mind fills in after the fact with all kinds of rationalization about why it's the best one. <laughs> so everybody is an emotional decision maker. Well, it's so interesting because, you know, everybody's willing to talk left brain, right brain, left brain's logic. That's where I yeah. plan things. Yeah. That's where I think things through. And and right brain, and this is a true fact, two-thirds of the cells in the right hemisphere of your brain, they're scanning. They're, mm. they're scanning for threat and for danger. Mm. So that's the emotional part. And, you know, what happens when we go through a trauma, we have that frontal lobe shutdown and yeah. we have the amygdala kick in, and that's our emotional, and that starts making our decisions for us. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. That really does, yeah. So how do you get people to get started in the decision-making process? Because to me, that seems to be the, that first step. That seems to be the hardest. You know, it's funny. It depends on your soul type. I use those two terms interchangeably, authentic expression and soul type. Um, but it depends on that because um, different soul types uh, move differently through their decision process. So for someone who, um, uh, so for example, if you are what I call a, a coaching soul or a learning soul, that getting started tends to take a long time and it can be a really sticky, sticky process. But for other types, what I call your optimizers, your efficiency, your expressives, they tend to jump right in with both feet and move quickly. So, so the, and then, and then their, their process unfolds really differently. There's no process that's better than another. As a matter of fact, every soul type has been in the white house, right? You know, there are, every soul type is in, you know, heading corporations all over the world, right? There's, there's no one type that's better than another. They're each different. Um, but they come into the decision in a really different way. And then they experience doubt in really different ways. So in terms of getting started, like, like, for those that have difficulty getting started, you know, it would depend on which type they were. That's because that's going to that's going to vary. So say, for example, if you're a coaching soul, you're going to have a really hard time in the beginning if you have too many alternatives to choose from. Right. If you open yourself up to too many options and that's when things get really, really confusing for you. Um, so so a coaching soul might have a hard time committing. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, and so what, what it looks like for them is, you know, and, and keep in mind that, that each of these processes, that the reason why we each have different processes is because it opens us up to different gifts. So, so, and the two go hand in hand, right? It's, it's like you, for, so for a coaching soul, the specific gift that they have is that they're, they are, their real focus is on one-to-one interactions on people is what they love. And they are, um, they have the ability to look at a person and see what is absolutely best about them to see as their, see them as their true self, as their highest expression. And they would then reflect that back to the person. So when you interact with a coaching soul, you feel them seeing you as who you could be. And it motivates, inspires you to become that person, to become the best version of yourself. But that same process that they use to see the best in people, they also use to see the best in every choice that they make. So when they're coming to try to make a decision, they're going to be looking at four or five, six, seven, eight options. And and they're seeing what's best about every option and they can't choose. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, oh, I don't know which road to take. They all right. <laughs> they all are the yellow brick road. Right. But, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so when you think about making a decision, do you think about the lifespan of decision? I know if I'm buying a car, 
my approach to that decision making is very different than if I'm buying a new lamp. Right. You know, it's actually interesting. The process that we have, the thought process is the same regardless. Like, so, so your thought process is the same method of thinking that you use for every decision that you make. The exception would be sort of like those sort of rote decisions. Like if you have the same breakfast from, you know, same breakfast every morning, you, you're not really using a decision process to choose that same thing in the morning. It's just something you always do. But, but regular decisions where you have to go through, you know, like considering one choice or another, then then you, you are going to always use your process. Um, and you're, it's going to look a little different. Like it's going to expand or contract based on whether you're thinking of what to order for lunch or whether you're buying a car, right? It's going to, it's going to take on more dimension. Um, and then it can also be affected by if you are, if, if it's, if you're in fear about the decision, if it's something that triggers you. So if you're somebody that, that worries a lot about money and you're buying something you think is too expensive, it's going to alter your process a little bit because it's going to, you're going to be in fear and you're not going to be really in touch with your natural process. Well, you know, I really like the brain talk because that's kind of the basis of, of my business. Yeah. In your book, you talk about the difference engine. Yes. Talk to me about that. Yeah, yeah. So the dis- the difference engine is is part of how we choose. And this is sort of really the beginning of the decision process. And and it's a magical, magical part of your thinking process that allows you to understand really complex things in a really fast and efficient way. So if you're trying to make a choice between two things and and you you know you Say, for, for example, if you're trying to pick between two cars and you're car shopping and um, if you really if you didn't have a d- difference engine, if this if you didn't have this way of thinking, you would have a really hard time trying to pick between the two cars because you would need to know everything that there was to truly understand the decision. You would need to know everything about those cars, like every like every little mecha- you know mechanical piece of it. How does it work? What does it do? Who built it? Where was it built? Right. Where has it been? You know, all of these these types of questions because you're trying to really get to the truth, right? You're trying to get to the fundamental truth of what is is objectively better or worse about each one. And, and think about the complexity of that question, right? It's enormous. And if you had to do that about every decision, even what you were going to pick for lunch, if you go back to the lunch question, if you had to get to the objective truth about which one was the best in every single decision, it could be you could spend a lifetime on that one question. So what we have instead is this magical way of thinking where rather than looking for the objective truth, we just try to look for the difference between two things. So we will look at the two cars and say, well, one is blue and one is gray and I like gray better. And one has leather seats and one has cloth, right? Or, you know, or one has, you know, more miles on it. The other one has less miles. We look for observable differences and we use those observable differences to make our choice. And what's amazing about that is this shortcut of just going to what we can see, what's observable, then that usually leads to a pretty good decision. And so we, and, and, and you're going to go beyond in, in some more difficult decisions, you're going to go beyond what's observable, but you're still always using the framework of comparison, of comparing rather than objectively understanding everything that there is to know about something, you're just comparing one thing to another. And it creates a much smaller subset of information that you have to think about. So you can choose and you can make good decisions um, based on really a, a much less work. So it's a way of being really efficient with your thoughts. 
Well, I think you also talked about in your book, it's kind of a good decision making is a three step process. Yes. Tell me yeah. more about that. Yeah. So, so you have three phases to it and you have pre-commitment and then you have committing to commitment and then you have post-commitment and three different things happen in these different phases. Um, and in the pre-commitment phase is where you're going through that thought process of choosing, right? You're, you're coming up with what is it that you're, you know, what's the problem, understanding the problem. And then you're going through this process of comparison with your difference engine and what you're doing. It's, it's a sort of a two-step, honestly, it's between your difference engine and your emotions. So your difference engine is is working hard, showing you comparison. So you're trying to choose, you know, a new pair of pants, and it's going to hold one pair up, and then it's going to hold a second pair up, and say, okay, here's the differences between these two things. When you see the two differences, then you're going to feel with your emotions, what do you like better? And that's a that's a feeling question. How do you feel about these two these two options based on the differences? And then you choose using your emotions. But but you go through this process of a set of assessing the differences in your pre commitment. Then you get to the commitment phase, which is the moment where you choose. And most of us think that this is the decision. We think that when you make a decision, we think that it is just the moment that you snap your fingers, that you turn left instead of right, or that you hand over your credit card, and then you're done. And that's the choice. But that's just a small subset, right? That doesn't include what happens after you choose. And what happens after is, in some ways, actually, in terms of your happiness and your fulfillment, it's actually more important. So, so you've gone through your pre-commitment with your difference engine choosing and it's comparing your difference engine is constantly working hard for you, showing you comparisons once you commit. And I don't mean just making a decision. It's a, it's a, it's a three step process. You have to make a choice and you have to burn your bridges and you have to, you have to give up your alternatives. And once you do that, once you fully commit by giving up your alternatives and burning your bridges, then you move into what I call post-commitment. And what's, what's important about post-commitment is when you get there, that difference engine, which is constantly giving you comparisons, all of a sudden it reverses and it does something totally different. And rather than showing you all the different options to choose from, which can be really confusing if you've already picked, if you're, if you've chosen something, but your difference engine is constantly showing you more options and more options and more options, it takes away from your satisfaction and your happiness with what you have. Whereas if you fully commit you burn your bridges, you give up your alternatives, you go into post-commitment, your difference engine reverses. And instead of asking what's, what is different about these two, instead it asks what is best about this one? What's the best thing about the thing that you chose? What's good about it? And it starts looking actively for all the things that are great about the thing that you chose. And this actually makes you fall in love with your choices. So this is how you become happy with what you choose. So do you have to go through that stage of burning the bridges? Because I know I was taught don't burn bridges. You know, you might need to go back to cross that bridge sometime. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you do. You do. You do have to burn your bridges. And that doesn't mean you have to make people angry, right? You don't have to go kick your ex, ex boss in the shins. <laughs> but right. it does mean that, you know, that if you're dating, you want to throw away and you're serious about someone, you want to throw away your little black book, right? You don't want to leave yourself loopholes or options. If you buy something, if you buy that pair of pants and you bring it home, don't leave the tags on and don't keep the receipt. If you really want to like it, if you want to feel great about it, don't give yourself the option to return it. Because when you do, you open a loophole in your mind. And that loophole is your difference engine that's constantly going to be thinking about other options and bringing up other possibilities. And the problem is that 
Like I said, it's it's an emotional choice when we choose something. And say, for example, that you find the perfect pair of pants and you looking at it, your difference engine is like, it's got all these great features and your emotions go, yeah, I love these pants. These are awesome. But you don't fully commit. You bring them home and you leave the tags on and you're, you're and once you get home and they're hanging in your closet with the tags still on, you might start thinking about, because your difference engine is still working, the other store you didn't go to. And maybe you should just go, go there just to be sure. And you start looking at more pants and your mind starts working, comparing more and more and more options to the one that you chose. And what happens is say that you're looking at your fifth pair of pants and you're comparing them to that first pair, that first perfect pair that you used to love. And the first time you saw those pants, it was you felt the benefits for the first time. And it was like love, like, oh, these are great. But by the fifth time that you're comparing it to the new pair that you found at a new store, you've seen those benefits five times now. And it's like hearing a joke for the fifth time. It starts losing its punch. So what happens is it starts getting more and more confusing. You're not really sure if you like those pants anymore. And and so things start to get stickier and stickier and stickier if you don't burn your bridges and give up your alternatives. Wow, I can identify with that with that example that you just gave. Uh, <laughs> I totally can identify with that example, you know. And you're yeah. right. If, if it brings you joy, then accept that joy mm-hmm. and put it in the closet, take the tags off, and wait for the right opportunity to wear them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you're and the interesting thing is is that is that there is no one perfect pair of pants. <laughs> right? There that we get really wrapped around the axle around this idea that there is a the right decision, the best decision, and it's like a Rubik's cube that we have to solve, that we have to figure out, you know, what the best one is. And the more choices we have, the better we expect our decision to be because we think, well, we've got all these choices, surely I should be able to find the most perfect one. But the thing that makes your decision best is not the thing itself. It's the process through which you choose it. It's based on how you feel about the choice that you make. So if you choose, if you if you make, make a choice and you commit to it and you become invested in that choice and you fall in love with it, it becomes the perfect choice. I think what you're saying in some ways is you don't keep overthinking things. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. Which so, sounds so simple because it's like, how do I do that? But that's exactly what the book is about. This is how you don't overthink things. <laughs> and how, because when you overthink things, you get those thoughts. They just start ruminating in your head. Yeah. And, yeah. and one leads to another and, and it becomes harder and harder to be authentic. Yeah. You know? and, and to be Authentic to me is reliable. It's it's the original. It's genuine. It's believable. It's based on fact. Yes. And when you just keep throwing in more variables, it, I think that it's hard to it's hard to keep it. So I started off and I took part of a quote, and I want to give credit and give the whole quote before we go to break. To be authentic, we must cultivate the courage to be imperfect and vulnerable. We have to believe that we are fundamentally worthy of love and acceptance, just as we are. I've learned that there is no better way to invite more grace, gratitude, and joy into our lives than by mindfully practicing authenticity. And that's Brene Brown. Uh, And I don't think that really that you could say anything better. Authenticity is about presence, living in the moment, and being true to yourself. And I'll never forget, my kids were in college, and they had some tough decisions to make. And all I could say was, be true to yourself. Yes. Love it. 
be back after these messages. It's marching have you ever found yourself in an airplane seated next to a non-stop talker that you really don't have anything at all in common with? When I fly, I usually want to catch up on my reading and not have to listen to an explaterator. It's even worse if they're a philodox. That's a person who just loves their own opinion. Well, now a Facebook app lets you choose your own seatmate before you fly. According to an article in USA Today, social media startups are bringing together compatible flyers before they take their seats. That's good news for people lovers, otherwise known as philodemics. A number of apps such as Plainly and Satisfy are helping travelers meet not only online, but in person. Think the Match.com of travel. I love flying and have been to almost as many places as my luggage. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Close your eyes and imagine living your life without limits. Where would you go? Who would you meet? What would you do? During an Uncover Your Hidden Genius session, you will discover what's keeping you from living your life with purpose, passion, and fulfillment of your potential. You'll get a clear vision of the steps you need to take to uncover your hidden genius so that you can live a life without limits. Sessions can be done over the phone, Skype, or in person. Find out more at www.JoyceBufordEmpowers.com or by calling 903-287-0747. We're back. Now here is your host, Lee Richardson. We're back, and Anne's got a lot to talk about. And in the beginning, she talked about the different soul types. And I have to admit, I'm trying to figure out, am I a coach? Um, what are my other choices? Um, but, go ahead. I'm sorry. In the book, you say that specific decision processes depends on your soul type. So what exactly is a soul type? Yeah, so a soul type is it 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 gets to the idea that at our core, at the heart of each of us, what is really at our center? Who are we when you strip away, you know, our physical bodies and you have left our soul? We are creative essence, right? That we we are, you know, um, from an, a creator, and we are aspects of that aspects of source. So we are create we are creators at our core. That's who we are, and the process that we use for creation, you know, that that is true whether you're here on earth or you're elsewhere um, and understanding yourself as a creator is part of what we're doing here on earth it's understanding like only here where we have time to, to, to limit what's possible for us like we can't just create something instantly here you have to create it over time it stretches out the creative process so you can see how your own creative process works so that's what's kind of magical about being here and experiencing life on earth um, and so understanding what is it your soul type it is your way of doing that it's your specific way of creating and we each have our own way of doing it and you can create something entirely by yourself you can create independently but what's interesting is because of the fact that there are seven different energies and we only contain each of us is our main native soul type is one even though we learn how to use all seven in terms of the process of creation when 
all seven come back together again. So if you're working within a team or a group where all the different energies are created, it's like creating source again, right? It's bringing it on that sense of oneness of, of creation is pretty magical. But your so, soul type is, is your way of creating. So do you feel like at different points in your life, you tap it because of what's going on around you and your environment and the challenges you face that you may tap into different types of soul types? Or do you, is it you're true, you're true to yourself, be true to yourself. It's a great question because so you have and remember, this is it's not a personality type at all. We're talking about a thought process. And so your thought process is is something that you will keep your whole lifetime. But there are traits or behaviors of other soul types that you learn that you learn to behave like other types. So and but not all of them. And that's where it gets tricky. So you will you may be really great at your own native soul type. And then you might learn and you could learn that through it could be stuff that that um, was from your environment. It could be from from school training, like all different ways that you can learn how to behave like other soul types. So there could be two or three or four others that you're pretty comfortable in that you know how to use some of their gifts. But there's going to be two or three that you literally don't even see that you are you have no idea how to work within. And that's just that's the way that we're built. It's things that we are actually in resistance to. And we, do we want to stay that way? Ideally, no. <laughs> you know, and I think that is what's magic is the the understanding these different energies is part of your soul progress. That are the goal for all of us is to become more flexible, is to embody more aspects of source energy, to become able to fluently use all seven energies, and and that makes us a you know a more well rounded person. So so that's the goal is the long the long term is so that that's why I think going through a creative process is such an important part of your soul development of your spiritual path that's part of the reason why i i use business as the way of teaching this the soul types is because creating a business is one of the the most amazing experiences that that forces you to learn to use all seven types because you're creating something from nothing and in order to succeed you have to step into these energies some of which are not the ones that are native to you and they're not necessarily comfortable so it pushes you out of your comfort zone so that takes a fair amount of open-mindedness yes Yes, it really does. And and it, it takes, you have to want it, right? Because it, anytime, like people don't necessarily change and then, unless they have to. We don't change unless it hurts. And so business creates a positive impetus for change. Like if, you, if you're trying to create something for yourself and you're really motivated to do it, maybe even if you've created additional incentive, like maybe you, you've quit your regular job and you're trying to start your own company, or maybe you've got a side hustle that you, you want to quit your job. Those are real incentives that are going to push you into things you're not necessarily comfortable with, right? And they're going to push you to face fears. So it's it's a really, really great arena for soul growth. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about how this, the soul type and you can use that in your work to yeah. get you where you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. It is, you know, it is. Um, uh, it's, it's a very important part of understanding, you know, and whether this is true, whether you have, uh, whether you you have your own business, if you're, you know, if you've got a, if you're an entrepreneur or whether you're working in a company is that when you understand your way of, 
of uh, making decisions. It's about how you think and solve problems. And so you could be teamed up. So say, for example, you're in a big company and you're on a team of people and you don't, you feel like the odd man out or odd person out that everybody else seems to be working in one particular way and you're working in a totally different way and you're at odds. And that's usually because you are a different soul type. And if you have a conversation, if there's fluency in your organization, about what those soul types are, you start to understand the benefits that each type brings. You start to understand how a different thought process opens up. So say, for example, you could have a, a team of, of experimenting souls and they're all about like, let's get into action. Let's build momentum. Let's go for growth. And then you have in there mixed in one of our coaching souls who's all about let's plan and let's, let's come up with a, a, a six month forecast. And there's going to be a big clash there, right? They're going to be up against each other because the experimenters are going to be saying, hey, I, I want to get going. Let's get moving. And the coaching soul is going to say, well, we need to have a plan first. got to have a plan. And they're not going to understand each other at all. They're talking past each other. So this happens, this works, this, this sort of interaction plays out within a team all the time. And it probably, if you are working within a company, you're going to see this all around you where there's people are talking past each other. We assume that everybody thinks the same way that we do. And we don't understand the value that other people, where their value is most essential because of the fact that problems, as problems unfold, we each come in at a different part of the problem. And so you got to understand, you know, that coaching soul is truly needed at a specific part of the problem, just like the expressive soul is true. And the, the experimenting soul I was talking about was truly needed at a different part of the problem. And they're compatible if they understand how to work together. And then this plays out for your, for your own business. If you're, if you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to create your own business, you got to understand what, what we do when you start something is you're going to start out with the energy that is most familiar to you. You're going to start out and that's going to be your step one. And then you're going to go to step two, which you're familiar with and step three and step four. Those are the, the soul types that you're comfortable using. And you're going to get to step five and you're going to think, you know what? I'm not really comfortable with that. I, I don't like doing that. I don't understand it. I'm going to go back and I'm feeling bad about this experience. I'm going to go back and do the thing I'm great at. So what, what entrepreneurs do is that when there's seven steps they have to get through, they just keep going one, two, three, four, and then they go back to one again and they never get to step five. So they get stuck or plateaued and they can't figure out what's going on. Why do you think that is? I mean, are they are they not living in the moment? Are they not concentrating on exactly what is happening at that precise time? It's I think it's perceptual. It's that it's that we you it you can't necessarily see another thought process. It's not visual. You can't see it. And we assume that everybody thinks the same way that we are. So it's just, a, it's a simple matter of the fact that we don't understand what these energies are or how they work. Nobody has given us the map, right? We don't understand the process. And that's that I'm teaching that in my business energetics course, I teach the map. I show you, this is what the whole process looks like. These are the seven energies and this is how each one works. And this is where you fit in the map. So this is where, where you come in and these are the types of problems you're going to run into and this is how you solve them but that's i think it's just that is that is that without the map how do you know right because their only way of understanding the world is through our own eyes we can only see our way of doing it so what role to does intuition play in the map do oh, you yeah 
Yeah, it's it's a, actually I love that question because the the what's interesting is that your intuition is a part of your decision process, but it comes in at a different place for each of the seven different soul types. So we each experience our intuition in a different way. So for some of us, it comes in with a, the inspired idea, right? For some of us, it comes in in terms of the way that we then see others. It, it comes in and there's this the, the intuitive hit or that that intuitive sense plays a different role for each of us in our process so does it come through i mean i've heard a lot of people say i just do what my heart's telling me to do yes yeah yeah and 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 i see what you're asking and that makes a that that is definitely a factor and and you can find that as somebody is is truly being led, and there, there'll be some people who have an easier time being led by their intuition than others based on their soul type, again, because some people are much faster to make choices than others. But the more that you tune into your intuition, the further you are along on your soul path and the more flexible you become in your process. So you start to embody other soul types as you go. So as a business leader and you've got a team and let's say you've got, there's seven different types and you've got all seven of them. How, how do you maximize, get that for optimal results? That's a, that is a, a beautifully balanced team. If you have all seven types on your team and, and what typically happens all, all, I mean, I cannot tell you how common it is that what happens with in big corporations, because, you know, I, I have been an executive coach and worked in, in some of the biggest companies in the U.S. And what I see over and over again, the higher somebody gets in a big, big organization, the more committed they get to their way of thinking because it works so well for them. They start to see that as the, the way of success. Right. Because it's, it, that's been their experience. It's natural to think that way. So what ends up happening is is that when they're looking for who they want to be on their team, they choose other people who think the same way that they do. So you'll get a team that's made up of all the same soul type. And those people who don't fit, maybe they're people who came along who were there before, who are of a different soul type, those people get forced out or set aside. Um, and which is really unfortunate because it exposes huge weaknesses in the team. And in a perfect world, you want, you want to not only have a balanced team, but it's super important to understand what each person's role is in the overall process. Because without that, you just end up with conflict. You end up with, well, I don't, you don't, you're not understanding each other. And you have to have, you have to have this map to be able to understand what the role is of each person and where they come in in the process and why that's needed and how to temper it because there's also sort of positive and negative expressions of each type, right? You can have somebody who goes too far into their soul type that, you know, I was talking about that, you know, our coaching soul is the, you know, is an excellent planner, but if they go too far into their planning and they, you know, they want to plan for 10 months without getting anything done, they need to be balanced by that experimenting energy that brings momentum, right? You need to have a balance. So it's really understanding how the whole process works together and the role that each person plays. But that's that is, I think, the super exciting opportunity in in terms of using this within large organizations or medium sized, you know. So you think it works just as well for a very small company of five people as it does for five thousand? 
Oh, absolutely. And I've used it. I've used it with both. I've used it with with um, uh, small um, small offices and I've used it with um, major companies in the U.S. Uh, and internationally, actually. And the the um, uh, the small companies, what ended up happening is there was one specific company that that um, used it that had uh, their team was perfectly balanced. And the problem was that they uh, every time they brought somebody new in, the person wouldn't fit. And they, they had a really hard time f- hiring for this one position. And the problem was that they had basically, if you looked at who was in the office already, they sort of had somebody in every one of the soul types. And they had this wonderful team that was just so gelled and working so beautifully together that anybody else that came in could not figure out to specifically because of the types that they were bringing in are ones that kind of wanted to be, they wanted to be the only one of that type, right? They wanted to come in and say, this is my role, but there was already somebody in the in the office that had that role. And so they, they were, it was, it was conflict, you know, and the solution was to look for somebody who was actually a slightly different soul type that would fit better with the, because in, in their problem was that they had gelled so well that, that nobody else could break in. So, but you're saying you can have two of the same soul types. Absolutely. You can. Yeah, for sure. And, and, um, it's just under it, it, the, the key really, I think is that awareness. So, so even in the ones that, that are your most vocal, your loudest, right? The ones that take up the most space in the room. Um, even there, there's room for more than one because they can bounce off of each other. But the, but those roles, the, the, the issue that this one particular office had was that they had created a dynamic and that dynamic because it was so perfectly balanced was very tight. And so that's what made it really hard. But in most cases, yeah, you can have you, you, you and you do like I was saying how in 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 large, you know, very large organizations, you'll see these teams that are uniform, right at the highest levels that are all the same soul type and they and they love it. They're humming along because everybody thinks like they do. And it's like, you know, it's it's everybody's doing it the same way. And it feels very reinforcing. But it really opens up all of these, this exposure in terms of that they're, they're only seeing it from the one perspective and that perspective has flaws. Absolutely. And I think yeah. that goes back to the open mind and being open minded. Yeah. But, you know, that takes trust. I mm-hmm. mean, and, and it almost takes a little bit of faith. Yes. Uh, to yes. Totally open yourself up. It really does. And I think also because of the fact that I think that we develop really strong biases about our way of doing things that we if it's worked, especially, you know, if you've had success with your way of making decisions, which you have, otherwise you wouldn't keep doing it. <laughs> right. Right. And so we think our way works. And when you come across somebody else who's doing it differently, our most common response is to be frustrated with that person and to not understand why it's valuable. Right. To just get frustrated or irritated. That person is, you know, is is too slow or that person is rash or that person is rude or, you know, whatever it is, we 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 minimize they're what they're bringing to the table and we don't understand it well you know to me being a good listener is part of being a good leader it's part of being a good partner it's part of being a good friend it plays a huge role in all of our social relationships how does that the the listening piece how does that play into the model or the map 
Do you know, I think, I think that, I mean, you're right that listening is so important in, in, in terms of being a great leader and, and in terms of in, even as with your own business, it's super important to listen to your customers and find out what they want. And I think it goes way beyond the soul types. I think it, cause at that point, and remember the soul types, I think that's one of the things that's important to know. This is not a, a, a personality test, right? This isn't something that's just not like a Myers-Briggs or, um, you know, one of those that, that tells you everything about a person. This looks at, and I think that's what, what makes it really effective is it looks at one slice of a person. It looks at how they create and how they think and make decisions is how they create. So it looks at that one little slice. How do you, how do you create? And so outside of that are all of the other factors of your personality. So you can have two people who are the same soul type. And when you meet them, you might think they have nothing in common. They have totally different interests. One might be introverted. One might be extroverted, right? They, they have different personalities. Um, and that's, I think, where the listening comes in is that we have to we have to listen to understand those those much more subtle and complex aspects of, of a person, the, their personality types. But this particular methodology that the book is about and the, the test is about is really about looking at this very specific part of who we are, which is that soul essence, our authentic expression, which is how we think, how we make decisions, how we create in the world. You know, because there's so many of us that we were we think inward and mm-hmm. we look outward and then there are those that do just the opposite. So what I see, though, with people that I feel are really authentic is that they are deep thinkers mm-hmm. and they and they mm-hmm. get their power from within. Yes. Yeah, I agree with that because I think it is. And I think that's one of the things that can really mislead people on their decisions is when they get really out of balance about how much information are they getting from internally and how much is coming from external sources, right? How, how swayed are they by what's going, you know, how much research have they done? How many other people's opinions have they listened to? Right. And, and as opposed to listening to their own internal sense of, of what's right or what's wrong. Um, and there's a balance, right? You, you, you need both. And interestingly, that balance is, is different for each of us based on our soul type. But, but if that, whatever the perfect balance is for you, if that balance gets out of whack, then that can lead to a lot of ambiguity and stress. Well, you know, in your book, you talk about owning our decisions because once we, we get to the point we're confident in our, our decisions, it becomes yeah. a whole lot easier to own them. Yeah. Yeah. It's really true. And, and the ownership is that is the mechanism through which we fall in love with our choices. I think this is so important. Like I, 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 like I want to whisper this into the ear of like all the people that might be having marital problems. <laughs> that if you, you know what I mean? When you, when you're, when you're, when you're falling out of love with something, the idea is that if you commit to something, if you own it, if you make it part of yourself or you, and the key here to do it is to invest yourself in it, to make it part of you. So you, you invest your energy, your time, your, your thoughts, right? Your creativity goes into whatever it is, whether it be a marriage, whether it be a, you know, a a product, whether it be a business, whatever it is that you're trying to create, when you invest yourself in it, you start to feel ownership of it. You start to feel like it's a part of you, that it's an expression of you. And that is the process of falling in love with something that it's, I consider it to be an expanded state of consciousness, that you have moved your consciousness outside of yourself and have become, become part of something 
beyond you, right? And that might be, a, you know, a, a relationship. It might be a business, but it's something where you've you've taken your self identity and expanded it to include something else. Well, when you when you look at the process that you go through with business, whether it's small, medium, or large, mm-hmm. you you start with the decision making process, then you. That moves into the soul type. And mm-hmm. what, how does it flow from there? When I look at the, the way that the thought process works? Well, or just how you use it in the, the, the organization. Oh, so, so um, the using it so within a big organization or with, within a business, um, the key is to understand, like to start first with understanding which soul type you are and everything sort of starts from there and then understanding the map, the overall map of how it works. How does creation unfold um, and understanding what each of the different roles are. Um, and because problems um, unfold in a linear way, there's a beginning and then there's a middle and then there's an end. Right. And there's sort of these different stages, seven different stages to this unfolding. So it is looking at where in that linear unfolding, where do you fit? Um, and and if you are a person who is I, I, one of the ways I like to, to, to think about this is that is that you can have the same person coming into an organization um, at a different time. At one time in the organization's development, that person is going to thrive and be very successful and be promoted within that organization. At another time in the organization's development, that person is going to fail and they're going to be set aside because they're not embodying the energy that's needed at that time. So um, so in terms of, of teaching this and understanding it, you start with understanding the what how, what you know the overall concepts of the soul types and then you learn what yours is. And then the way I teach it to entrepreneurs is I take them through each of the seven different types and I give them a practical I, first I teach them how to embody the energy. What is the energy? How does it what does the thought process look like? What is the motivation? How do you embody it? Then I show you a practical way of applying it to your business. And I, I, the people who come through my entrepreneurial program, they come out of this with uh, a whole, basically a, the whole structure of a business created for small business. This would be for, for organizations or for in, really this is for solo practitioners is the specific course I'm thinking of. In big organizations, you look at the whole team and you look, or can you can look at the whole organization. You can apply soul types at the culture level of a big, a big company. So what I would do is look at within the team, help the team understand where are they heavy, right? Do they have a whole bunch of one soul type and not any of another? And then looking at what does that mean in terms of their mission, what they're trying to accomplish right now, right? How well suited are they to the mission that they have? And and then also where are their weaknesses going to be and what do they need to be looking at and how does that meld with the culture of the company? So so the interestingly, a company is a soul type. A company has its own soul type. So you can understand that from and use this as a culture method as well, which is super fascinating. So is that how you keep everything on track? When you take it, you put it at the, the culture and you factor that in and it become it becomes part of the culture? Yeah, it does. I mean, if, if you use a, a, a tool like this within a company, it can absolutely alter the culture of an organization because of the fact that you it's that awareness, right? It, it's an evolution for a culture because it becomes, you know, what is our enlightenment? It's, it's We were talking about this, I think, at the beginning of our conversation. It's awareness. It's becoming aware of um, the, the biases that we have, of our weaknesses, of our strengths, right? Seeing ourselves. And it's the same thing for the company. 
company seeing itself right from a culture perspective, understanding at the soul type level, because it you know what is how what is this how, how is this company expressing itself in the world and what are wow. its weaknesses? Yeah, so it's pretty That's- cool. It is pretty cool. And, and, you know, we've just got a couple of minutes left. If somebody wants to learn more about you real quickly, please let us know how they could, they could find you. Yeah, the best way is to go to anntucker.com. It's A-N-N-E tucker.com. And from there, you can find out about business energetics, which is the, the, the test and, and everything else. You can find out about the angelic frequency sessions. Um, it's all there. Well, and I know your book's on Amazon. If anybody's interested in picking that up, that's correct. Yeah, absolutely. It's called Undoubtedly Awesome, and there's a link to that uh, on that website as well. Well, I can't thank you enough for being on the show with me today because it's really helped me when I think about the people I deal with in my practice. I have another whole framework to look at them. And you were kind enough to share the book with me. So I appreciate it. I thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much, Lee. It's been such a great conversation. I've really enjoyed it. AnnTucker.com. On behalf of Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, TogiNet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, 